talking about it. This is Hamilton Today with Scott Thompson on 900 CHML. Yes! Hey, it's Hamilton Today. I'm Curtis Thompson, Scott's son. Ted and Diana are in the newsroom. Will is on the board. It's the 1st of December. All I want for Christmas is a variant-free holiday. Here's Scott Thompson. Ah. Remember when we used to cringe when we heard Christmas music? Oh, not already. Oh, my goodness. We barely got through Thanksgiving and Halloween. And now we're hitting Christmas music. Wah, 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 wah. Now... Yeah, I'm loving that. Who picked that? Me. Who picked me. that in the house? I Diana, did. Diana, that was an absolutely superb pick for today. Isn't it, though? Isn't it the most wonderful time of the year? I feel very jolly today. <laughs> now, now, I'm like Elf over here. <laughs> so uh, to use a, a phrase that we've heard a lot over the last, are you masking uh, the fact that, you know, we, you know, it kind of like that variant crap. And, it, and, and it's great to hear Christmas music, or is this all about December 1 and let's, whatever the hell is happening, let's roll into this holiday. Yeah. Like, I mean, even if I got to sit alone on Christmas, I'll still have my Christmas music. So either way, it's December 1st and we're going to play it. So that's that. I love that. it. I love yeah. it. Now, are you, uh, were you ever one of those people that said, you know, this is too early? There's some certain radio stations that play it. Uh, they're already doing it. They're already rocking it. And, and, you know, some would complain. But you're not like that. You're ready to rock. Because we were decorating the tree last week, and I said, you want it on? No, it's too early. It's not December yet. I feel that way, but I feel like my kickoff is American Thanksgiving. Once that happens... I'm good to go. It's full steam ahead. All yes. right. Thanks, Diana. Great choice. Thank and you. Uh, I think that's exactly what we need on a day like today. And, of course, Diana Weeks and Ted Michaels will be joining us around the big round table coming up after the 4.30 news. You do not uh, want to miss that. Scott, uh, per- sh- should I throw on the Christmas decorations for Diana? No. 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 Oh, I love this. Oh, oh, Scott, I still got that problem, I think. Yeah, there's uh, something stuck there. Uh, oh, oh, no. Oh, no. oh, dear. I'll I work know. on it. It's, uh, you know, it, it's there's a faulty cord somewhere. I think there's some uh, animals, rodents, chewing the lights. That's what's happening, and it's, there's there's some sort of short circuit there. We'll get it figured out. Or a cat, by five. unfortunately. <laughs> yes, that's a whole other story. <laughs> yeah. All right, uh, where where the heck were we? Oh, it is Hamilton today. I'm Scott Thompson. Will Erskine is on the board. Uh, Ted Michaels, Diana Weeks in the newsroom, as I said, joining us around the uh, big round table. Maybe we got to put Christmas lights there down on the uh, thing. All right, uh, we certainly know how much this uh, COVID-19 global pandemic has affected us all uh, in various ways, including mental health, including addictions. And now great news starting December 7th, uh, Hamilton Paramedic Service will provide naloxone kits and offer opioid overdose prevention education as Hamilton continues to see the increase in the number of opioid overdoses as a result of uh, this global pandemic. Training began in October uh, to prepare all the paramedics to deliver awareness and prevention education as well as distribute the kits when responding to opioid related calls. Uh, with that training now complete, the initiative will go live next week. Let's bring in David Thompson, paramedic superintendent, Hamilton Paramedic Service, and with us now. David, thank you for the time. I hope you're well. Great. Thanks for having us. How are your paramedics reacting to this? Uh, and, and what have they seen over the course of this pandemic? 
it's a, it's interesting. A lot of our paramedics, uh, when we were working through this process, actually approached us. They were, you know, hearing that uh, other places were offering this, and uh, overall, the uh, the feedback has been great. Uh, it's encouraging, and they're encouraged to uh, start moving forward with the process in the coming days. How much has this pandemic uh, affected this? Uh, any type of, of overdose, any type of addiction. Obviously, we've heard of more and more uh, overdoses and deaths uh, from opioids as a result of this pandemic. Are, are we seeing that on the streets here too? Yeah, in, in 2021, uh, we've seen a, a record number of opioid overdose-related calls here at Hamilton Paramedic Service, uh, over 816 now as of uh, November 22nd. And, uh, and like you mentioned, with the uh, the pandemic, uh, we do know that there was some decreased access or, or struggles for people to access addictions, um, programs and harm reduction sites, things like that. Uh, and that was really, a, a, it was part of our drive to get this uh, initiative up and rolling here in the city. What kind of trainings involved here, David? So this is a, a collaborative effort with, uh, with public health and um, they're uh, an instrumental role in helping us get this forward. But uh, all our paramedics were brought in for, for training. Um, we, we know that they are experienced in responding to opioid overdoses, and they're already providing harm reduction, uh, whether they realize it or not. But it was just more, um, you know, formalizing what they were informally doing already and, and just offering some tips and tricks and, and ways that they can kind of engage people that they're interacting with in, in those things like harm reduction. And then at the end, provide them with an naloxone kit that we, uh, we know saves lives. And all paramedics now have this training in the city. Is that accurate? Absolutely. Yeah. Every frontline paramedic uh, and supervisor was provided with this training and will be able to uh, offer this moving forward. And is there uh, is there any danger to them? What is the danger uh, with, with with paramedics or healthcare in dealing with opioid overdoses? Is there anything uh, a- any more risk to the paramedic at all? No, this is a, a great initiative, um, and it's supported across uh, all levels of uh, government and uh, throughout the city. Uh, so really, it's it's just uh, we're already augmenting the the programs that are offered here in the city, and uh, and just like I said, we're accessing you know 800 now, over 800 now patients that uh, potentially could have um, we could have engaged in that education and get got a kit too. So. Really, we know that uh, the bottom line is that naloxone saves lives and that this uh, this program will um, assuredly get uh, naloxone into the hands of the people that need it. Uh, so, uh, you know, it's interesting because at the beginning of all this, it was about the paramedic service, the emergency services that had these kits. You're actually distributing them and telling them how to use these. Yeah, so paramedics have, uh, again, lots of experience with naloxone and administering it uh, for uh, for decades now. But this is really about um, engaging in some of those um, prevention pieces. Uh, we know that when um, people do overdose and they've received naloxone, that, that, that sometimes that's the best time to actually engage them and, and start those conversations about, uh, you know, entering a treatment program or something like that. And it's it's really great to augment what our paramedics have already been doing uh, with a kit and a little bit more of uh, a formalized um, education that they can provide people with and, uh, you know, educate them on how to respond uh, in an overdose situation.
David Thompson with us, paramedic superintendent of Hamilton Paramedic Services, uh, now providing naloxone kits and offering uh, some prevention education along with everything else they do. David, uh, pass along to your crew. Uh, we're also thankful for everything they do, and this is a great initiative. Congratulations. Great. Thank you very much, Scott. Appreciate it. If it's happening now, we're talking about it. This is Hamilton Today with Scott Thompson on 900 CHML. Scott Thompson, it is Hamilton Today. Will Erskine on the board. Ted Michaels and Diana Weeks joining us around the big red table. Diana decided to play a Christmas song, Andy Williams' uh, most wonderful time of the year for the uh, for the top hour tune for the show today. Uh, because it's December 1, and like it's time to put this thing full throttle and get rocking, and because there's so much other depressing crap in the world, we might as well at least uh, keep going. So we've decided, considering the mood of the emails today, that we were going to get rid of the ACDC Thunderstruck and take Diana's uh, lead and uh, go with Burl Limes. It's a holly jolly christmas does anybody object to that today no not at all <laughs> no, <laughs> no. no. I, I want I, the burl and i want it now you know i'm all for the christmas music. it's just you know what it is it's just uh don't i i have don't to talk about it now no, don't no, talk no. about christmas music now it's going to be like it's going to be this is supposed to be the light one we end the feature off with so hold your thoughts on the Christmas music because I am going to ask you. Okay. If it's if it's time, is right. it time? Diana thinks it is. We got to ask you that. And your favorite, the Good Morning Hamilton was doing this, talking about their favorite Christmas movie, asking people to vote on their favorite Christmas movie. We're going to ask you that and the TV show. So think about that. That's coming up because we want to end this on a light note. Are we good? All right. Uh, poll question of the day. Uh, I'm just kidding, guys. Like, relax. Uh, do you support new restrictions for air travel? That is the poll question of the day, and I believe 75% of you are saying yay. Ted, uh, man, this is changing daily, so I don't know what the new restrictions are this hour, but what are your thoughts on where we are? Um, again, this is changing all the time. I thought uh, we, we mentioned yesterday, and it's changed again. I, I don't know. If, if somebody's coming from overseas, okay. If they're coming in from the States, as we mentioned yesterday, do you change it for that? I don't know. I think, again, the government is being very proactive on this, so I'm not sure that anything has to be changed, dot, 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 yet. I, uh, you know, I was I, I was talking to a buddy the other day, and his daughter got married uh, down in uh, Jamaica, in the last week this wedding has been delayed three times this is the third time and they just got back before all of this stuff started and they're counting their lucky stars they even got it in uh, diana what are your thoughts supporting new travel restrictions they say it's not really helping much although it does buy us time yeah i i do enjoy the travel restrictions i think it's the right thing to do what i was concerned about when this first happened is that um and, and this isn't getting a lot of talk either, is that, you know, these fantastic scientists in South Africa discovered, you know, the fact that there was this Omicron variant. They reported it. They did their due diligence. They did amazing science. And, you know, what essentially they were, quote unquote, rewarded for was travel restrictions. Um, yeah. And I mean, while there's no way around that, essentially, I mean, what what about other countries? Are they going to not? announce that because they're worried it could affect their industry their you know their bottom line their everything so it's it's a very sticky situation i think i think at this point of the pandemic you know once you're into this situation the whole world knows you're into the situation that being said on what you said diana uh the netherlands apparently there was a case there of this prior to 
what we're discovering in South Africa. So you bring up a very valid point. How honest are we all being about yeah. all of this? The first case of this reported today in the United States. What are your thoughts, Will? Do you want to weigh in on this? Feel good about jumping on a plane yet? Uh, no, no, but I haven't even been warming up to jumping on a plane yet. Uh, Diana's point really stands, and they say there's all sorts of other extra problems with with uh, flight restrictions and things, but... Uh, yeah, no, I, I, I'm not ready for this, and uh, I, I think at least uh, let's get those dipsticks happening again at the airport. Let's, in <laughs> fact, just every five minutes, every time you cross a mile, new dipsticks, something like that. No matter how you're traveling, <laughs> get your box of Q-tips. That's all not right, very this... nice dipstick. That's the oh, oh, I see. It's those. I thought you were talking. Yes, okay. there. Okay. Yeah, okay. <laughs> never mind. We're not doing name no, calling. I'll just be wrong. Okay. Should we? This is, and this is a bit of a moral thing. Should we delay boosters until the rest? of the world is vaccinated there's some people that are thinking that if we get a booster we're delaying a vaccination of somebody else in another country as i mentioned this earlier uh dr fauci said this weekend uh that with africa it's not the amount of vaccine that are there they can get enough they're making this stuff like it's going out of style the problem is distribution once it hits the ground getting it into arms and hesitancy so what do we do with boosters uh obviously we can try as much as we can to get into the rest of the world but do we delay ours till the rest of the world is vaccinated ted no because how long is going to take the rest of the world to catch up and again as dr fauci man who knows it could be a year it could be a year and a half you know um no i say are we focusing on the wrong thing here instead of uh, we're focusing again on supply which that was a huge issue a year ago it's not an issue now should we be thinking more on how we can help these people on the ground diana Yeah, I think so. I think it needs to be more of like an educational thing, more of a logistical thing as opposed to supply. Mm -hmm. Um, I mean, I don't think the answer, like Ted said, is to, you know, stop our... getting the boosters just because maybe it's behind in other countries in the world. However, I do, you know, think that it's very important that countries that aren't in the first world obviously do get inoculated. However, if it's not a supply issue, um, it doesn't really make sense for us to not do it. You know what this really reminds me of is the food issue or, you know, whenever we're trying to get aid to a country that's in the third world that's in distress. You can think of Haiti and the earthquake. It wasn't an issue of getting them aid. It's once it got on the ground, is it getting distributed? And I think what we're seeing with vaccine uh, inequality, it's the same sort of story with food equality. It's the same set of problems. It's not about not enough food in the world. It's how do we get it to the people that uh, that need it? Anyway, let's move on to something more uh, lively and exciting. Chris Christmas music. Is it time? Diana says it is. Ted, are you up for this now? You know what? It's it's December 1st. Yes. But, but my point earlier was I don't like it in when in November they start yeah. jamming the music down there. And how, why, it, here it goes on a, ta- a tirade here. <laughs> I don't care. It's two weeks today. I'm leaving. What are they going to do? <laughs> why is you go, it? You go, Teddy. You go. Why is it that Every radio station that goes Christmas always plays the same damn songs. They have a rotation of 20. Yeah, let's dig dig a bit deeper. Thank you. you. It's like hit radio, man. You're going with the hits. Just play the hits, Ted. How many times can we hear Burl Ives, no disrespect to the song, or Andy Williams, or Bing Crosby? Come on. Simply having a wonderful Christmas time. That that is possibly my most hated Christmas song. That one right there. What's your favorite? What's your favorite Christmas song of all time? Mine? Recording? Yeah. Oh, man. That's a good one. There's so many. 
I don't know. Ted likes blue uh, Christmas Elvis. <laughs> no, no. By the way, is that you like the tree too- ornament? No, I think it's been chewed up by the dog. <laughs> I have an Elvis tree ornament that sings carols, but oh, it, it was, was chewed up years ago. I used really, to bring it on the show every yeah, year, and Ted was, loved it, but no uh, more. No, no. <laughs> okay, if that's what you consider I love, then fine. I <laughs> have a dancing squirrel animated thing that my mom got me, because I, I do enjoy the squirrels, and it sings Christmas carols, <laughs> and it bops up and down. Yeah. You got to... Oh, Will's got his toys again. Uh, you got to bring that in. You got to bring that in before Ted's retired. You know what? I will, and I'll play what songs it sings on air because yes. it does have an original one. Yeah. So. Oh, that's good. The squirrel's oh, no, got an a album. Squirrel original. In its squirrel voice. All right. This is beautiful. Oh, this is exactly what we wanted to lean, uh, or sorry, end on a positive yeah, note. Thank you to the me. big round table. Oh, sorry, Will. What was yours? Sorry, uh, go ahead. Father Christmas by the Kinks. Oh, dear. Oh, man. All right. So much for ending on a high note. Uh, I'm kidding. Will Erskine, Diana Weeks, Ted Michaels, thank you as all. Don't forget, uh, coming up this Friday and Saturday, Blitz Weekend at uh, Lime Ridge. Also, on Friday, we are down back again at uh, Gore Park in uh, the center of the hammer in order to light the chml tree of hope how was the last time we did that uh is the tree we still got a tree we're good uh lights everything plugged working okay uh so yeah great news we finally get back to uh plugging back in the chml christmas tree of hope campaign uh obviously last year doing a very much abbreviated version of it because of the global pandemic and now we're trying to get uh as back to as much normal i guess as we can and of course all the details on how you can help us help the kids uh, this year with the CHML Children's Fund and the CHML Christmas Tree of Hope campaign. 900CHML.com. All the details are there on how you can help us help the kids. It's great to be back doing this again. Don't forget Friday. uh, We kick it all off with the lighting of the CHML Christmas Tree of Hope uh, coming up at Gore Park. All right. The Ontario Auditor General's report is out. Anytime one of these AG reports uh, come out, uh, obviously political parties start to tighten up and and hope that uh, they get through uh, relatively unscathed. And uh, the great news is this sort of gives us an unbiased view of what is going on. One of the key findings, more than $210 million in Ontario small business grants intended for businesses that had to close due to the pandemic was paid to ineligible recipients. Uh, Also, looks like there's some fraud uh, involved here as well, which I guess is common when government money starts flowing out the door. Let's bring in Peter Grave, Professor of Political Science, McMaster University. He is with us now. Peter, thanks for the time. I hope you're doing well. Yeah, I'm thanks, and you too. And your thoughts on the Ontario Auditor General's report uh, coming out, or I guess uh, as we're in the backside, hopefully, of this pandemic. What are your thoughts? What stands out for you? Well, I mean, I'm actually uh, surprised by, uh, you know, how little is it is, actually. So, I mean, obviously... You know, between the 200-some billion, uh, sorry, million, uh, you know, going to ineligible businesses and then the idea that there might be another kind of 700, uh, 700 million that was, you know, uh, greater than uh, what was lost by some firms for another uh, grant. I mean, you get to nearly a billion dollars there. That's obviously bad news for the sitting government. But, you know, usually this is kind of Christmas for the opposition parties. But beyond that, you know, uh, that... Uh, uh, you know, that billion-dollar uh, number, there aren't actually a whole lot of other uh, really bad things in the report. I mean, there's a number of things that are probably concerning and that need to be dealt with, but 
uh, it's not like some auditor general reports where there's you know pages and pages of you know different uh, boondoggles or shortcomings. You know, when I was going through all of this, Peter, I thought the same thing. Uh, you know, I, you know, you, you want to provide an unbiased view of this, but considering where we are, and I understand a lot of the uh, money that went out the door perhaps went to fraudulent situations, that kind of thing. Uh, but considering we are out of or coming out of or trying to get out of a global pandemic, there didn't seem to be a lot here that really raised the red flag ob- other than the obvious stuff. Yeah, I mean, obviously, a billion dollars is a big red flag, so uh, it will be interesting to see whether that registers with Ontarians. Uh, I mean, we're in a situation where we have, you know, the Liberal Party, uh, you know, which would probably be the the logical party to be the one to attack the Conservatives on, you know, fiscal mismanagement uh, to try and, you know, win uh, swing Liberal uh, Conservative voters. Uh, you know, so you'd think that would be bread and butter for them. But, you know, the past few months have really been trying to run against the NDP more than the Conservatives. And so it's not clear, you know, whether they'll be able to take advantage of that. Obviously, the, the NDP will try to take advantage of, of that number. But, you know, on some other things, too, like, uh, you know, real problems at the Ontario Provincial Police, mm-hmm. you know, where you have rural communities who are saying, well, we're paying more and more for the OPP. And here's this report saying that we're getting actually only about you know, 40, you know, 48% uh, less coverage in terms of, yeah. you know, patrols and so on. Uh, you know, that could be really damaging to the Conservatives in their heartland, but uh, I don't see the, the Liberals really trying to run against them in rural Ontario. So, you know, some of the, the potentially really damaging things in this report are unlikely to be that politically relevant just because, uh, you know, they're, they're affecting people where there isn't competition for votes. Uh, are you surprised how far to the centre this government has gone? Uh, well, I mean, the Auditor General's report is less about being left or right. It's about whether yeah. you're managing the money, <laughs> mm-hmm, <laughs> you know. Mm-hmm. So, uh, yeah, I mean, obviously, you know, outside of this report, yeah, the government uh, has seemed to have lost its ideological edge on some things. And so, you know, particularly on the idea of balanced budgets and the idea that you have to, you know, cut back the state, uh, we have seen the government uh, not be nearly as, uh, you know, pushing that. And I think it shows up in the report. I, I suspect the Auditor General and the Ministry of Finance kind of worked together on the part where they were ringing the bell about the idea that the debt is getting, uh, you know, too high. And so, yeah, I mean, I think that's one part of the report where you see concern in parts of the bureaucracy uh, about the, you know, they were expecting the Conservatives to try and uh, do more to reduce public spending, and they haven't done that. And I, I think that shows up in the report in the, the somewhat, uh, you know, dramatic passages about the need to uh, control the debt. Peter Grape with us, Professor of Political Science, McMaster University. Peter, always a pleasure. Thanks so much for the time. Be well. And you too. You're listening to the Hamilton Today podcast from 900 CHML. Okay, so uh, enough of the COVID crap for now. Let's talk about something really cool. Uh, Will uh, Erskine, who of course is uh, on the board, the producer of this show, uh, took yesterday off and went up to Kitchener-Waterloo to the museum to see a Rolling Stones display. I saw bits of this on the news last night. Uh, Will, tell us about this, This what's going on in KW. Yeah, it is awesome. So it's at the museum, which is all one word and all capitals. Uh, it's been touring around for a while. The show is called Unzipped. Uh, in fact, Alyssa Freeman, our friend of the show, she texted me when she heard that I was going to be at it. She's like, hey, I got to see this. It's so cool. But she didn't mm. see it in Kitchener. This is its first and only stop in Canada. It's running until February, and you can go up to Kitchener, check it out. It is 
immersive. People talk about immersive experiences. It really is. You get in and right on the ground floor, you start off, they've got the some instruments, they got the old drum sets, some of the first guitars the guys were playing with. You get to see little magazine things or the or the fan club uh, notes that they filled out, answered Q&A yeah. parts with their, you know, own handwriting. Next turn, they've recreated the uh, the flat that Mick and Brian had when they first were starting out where everyone was crashing all the time. They've made this whole three rooms of just a, a absolute sty of a place, exactly what you would expect these guys to be living in. And that's when it wow. starts to really bring you into their world because you get that, you get the audio clips of them talking about this place as you walk through the rooms, you get into the next room and then, you, you know, it's more the guitars, more of everything shaping up. They're starting to tour the world. Next place, the studios they were working in. They've recreated those. You go over, you get more of the guitars, more of Keith's stuff, all these things. Wow. Uh, it, it, and, and from there, it just builds and builds until you're finally on the top floor of the museum and you're walking around you're looking at all their their actual dioramas they used to plan out their giant giant shows like bridge to babylon and things like that and i paused for a moment i looked around and i thought how the heck did i get from the ground floor from just the you know some of the notes from the fan mm. uh, fan club pages to this and that's when it hit me. It's like, well, that's how it feels to be these guys. So that's what this whole show, this whole exhibit gives you is sort of that same experience. You get to traverse their history as you move through it. And it's so much more than just the stones. It is all the, the photographers, the artists, Andy Warhol displays, other musicians they worked with all integrated in. You get uh, surround sound and surround visual uh, documentary displays, all sorts of cool things. And it all caps off with they have the Voodoo Lounge, Scott. They have an actual yes. lounge built yes. in. I had a drink there. How many people have been able to just sit down and have a drink in a museum, in an exhibit, in a display? You know what the Voodoo Lounge was? The Voodoo Lounge, uh, and they they have massive stadium tours. So yep. the Voodoo Lounge is the lounge under the stairs, or sorry, under the stage that they go up to, you know, uh, just before they go on. So they go from the dressing rooms to the voodoo lounge. <laughs> They're kind of there. And then they appear from under, because the stage is gigantic. So yeah. underneath it is this giant area. Uh, and it's called, apparently, the Voodoo Lounge. And uh, only the elite of the elite ever experienced the Voodoo Lounge. So that's uh, that's very interesting. Wow, very cool. How long did it take you to go through this? Well, they estimate it takes about two hours for each uh, for you when you book your tickets. But it took me and my mom uh, about three hours because we were really wow. taking a while taking things in. It was an awesome show. Worth checking out. And it's unzipped, and it's at the museum in Kitchener, correct? Yes, sir. All right. Uh, it will endorse now. Two thumbs up. Let's bring in Dr. Ahmad Khalid, health policy expert. We haven't chatted in a while, and it seemed like we did every day. And now with a new variant, it could be time again. Uh, doctor, thanks so much for the time. I hope you're doing well. Thanks to you, Scott. Thanks for having me. Uh, first question is, your thoughts on this new variant, and how does that compare to Delta? Because I remember when the Delta variant came out, it was much the same as it is now. Yeah, so this new variant is, is sounding to be a bit more scary than the Delta variant, only because it has more of the spike proteins that we look for uh, in terms of how transmissible the virus could be. So we're seeing the early reports on the, this Omicron variant is that it spreads fast, uh, but that the immunity of people who are vaccinated still seems to be holding up against it. So the layers of protection of vaccination, double shots, public health interventions, face masks, social distancing still seem to be holding true. However, the WHO has raised the concern level that it could spread like fire between countries and hence why the world is, is in a bit of a panic at the moment. 
So uh, could this be the exact same as a Delta? And I don't want to diminish this in any way. But again, I remember being very, uh, a lot of people were very anxious about this new variant. And there's been a couple since this all started. Uh, is, is there reason to be concerned more about this one? Well, I think we need to wait and see what data says um, because we're still, we don't have enough information. So the simplest answer to your question is we simply don't know. Um, will it be as you know overblown and probably nothing will end up happening for us, especially in Canada? Because you know it is very context specific. Scott, we're a country that now have been blessed that we we in a way um, spread the first dose and second dose that gave us a longer protection against variants and the COVID nineteen virus, and we have a high vaccination rate. So it could not play out uh, as bad as it sounds on the news in Canada. It's just time will have to tell. For now, I think. What everybody needs to be doing is A, not panic, and B, continue to do the things they do. So if you are a high-risk individual, please be careful about you know staying, wearing face masks, keeping social distancing. And we're going to wait to see what the data has to say. And if you're not vaccinated, this is the time to get vaccinated. And they say we should know more within 7 to 14 days as far as mm. how severe this is. All right, let's talk about boosters, doctor. Uh, mm. there, there's different, um, I guess, scenarios with boosters. Some are saying we shouldn't be boosting until we get the rest of the world vaccinated. Um, and there's also uh, obviously chatter around Africa and South Africa only having 7% of their population uh, fully vaccinated. And where I'm going with this, I saw on the weekend on, on the news shows, Dr. Fauci, and even President Biden saying that the issue with Africa is not that they don't have enough. There, there, there isn't a supply issue uh, because they've been they've been grinding this stuff stuff out forever. The issue is once it gets on the ground, is getting it distributed and in arms, and then obviously overcoming the hesitancy there. So, is it for Africa? Is it about they don't have enough, or is it about we need to do more to help them once it gets? there on the ground to get it in arms well i think it's firstly important to say that we it's very uh, challenging to generalize all of africa as one country right like Mm, different countries in africa are playing out very differently so for example south africa has a high number of the vaccine um they have 40 i think the latest statistics saw 41 percent of their population is vaccinated uh, they have a bit of a hesitancy, but not that big, and they're trying to overcome that. So it is country-specific in Africa. And you're right. I think part of it is that the fact that we've always said that, actually, on your show, is that sometimes it's not just the supply of COVID vaccine. It's actually can you distribute it and get in the arms of people, especially the ruler settings, where it's difficult to get the vaccine, too. So it plays out much more difficult. I think the issue, Scott, here is that governments around the world, including our own, unfortunately, are not doing enough to help other countries to make sure uh, that they are have a high vaccination rate. We're so focused insular. We're focusing on our own country and our own people and not looking abroad. And what COVID-19 is showing us over and over again, that it transcends borders. We are never safe until the rest of the world is safe. And so the sooner governments and leaders accept that truth and their reality and put forward actionable things that can really help other countries that need that support, we will always have this conversation about variants for the foreseeable future. Again, instead, we're chatting about patents and, and you know, whether we're sending enough or our boosters over to other countries. What can we do on what can other countries do on the ground in order? Because obviously, you know, a third world country doesn't have the same uh, health system that a first world country has. And, and distribution becomes the most challenging part of this. So what can we do as a first world or as first world countries to make sure that once it gets there, that we're actually being effective here? 
first and foremost, you need to ask those countries what help they actually need because they know better what they need than we can mm. tell them. Right? Like this is the colonization point of view that we shouldn't be the ones to enforce what we think is the best way to deliver health care for them. We should let them dictate where they need the support. And what's end up, if you speak to those countries, many of them have voiced concerns that the promises that were made during the first wave of the pandemic by governments across the world that they're going to support less developed countries did not come through. Um, and so whether that is financial support, whether it's boots on the ground, whether that's uh, technology and infrastructure, many different things that can be put into place to support them. I think what's end up happening is that governments say they're going to do one thing, but they don't follow through with that. And so the, the hope here is that this is a yet another lesson for leaders across the world to really come through with their promises by first and foremost listening to those countries of where the gaps are, where the needs are. Good point. Should boosters be paused until we get the rest of the world vaccinated? Well, NASI is currently looking at this evidence and they're actually evaluating whether they should roll out the booster shots for us Canadians faster than they anticipated given the, the variant. There's no definitive answer on that yet. Um, I think we're, Canada's focus right now is to get everybody vaccinated, as many as people who still have not been vaccinated, to get them vaccinated and to make sure that, you know, as much as we can, control the, the spread of the variant in our own communities. Dr. Ahmad Khalid with us, health policy expert, talking about the new variant and what we need to do to get the rest of the world vaccinated. Doctor, as always, thanks so much for the time. Be well. Same to you. Thanks, Carl. We've been discussing this. This We knew that it was just a matter of time before the first case of Omicron would be detected in the United States. And as you know, we know, I've been saying it, and my colleagues on the medical team and others have been saying it, we know what we need to do to protect people, Get vaccinated if you're not already vaccinated. Get boosted if you've been vaccinated for more than six months with an mRNA or two months with J&J. And all the other things we've been talking about, about getting your children vaccinated, masking in indoor congregate settings, etc. All right, that's Dr. Fauci. Head doc in the U.S. talking about uh, the first Omicron case now being discovered in the United States. And it was fascinating, and and I've been talking about this all day. Uh, I was watching uh, the Sunday morning shows over the weekend, and both President Biden and and Dr. Fauci were talking about Africa and, of course, the issue there and, and the need to get more and more people in Africa, South Africa, vaccinated and such. And and Fauci and the president both pointed out that supply is not the issue, although supply was a massive issue at the beginning of all of this. uh, There's lots of vaccine and the problem is not getting vaccine to Africa. The problem is once it gets to Africa, getting it distributed and into arms. uh, That's the problem. Distribution and then hesitancy that often comes in these situations. So, uh, again, we've been talking about no more boosters until we get the rest of the world uh, vaccinated. We're talking about uh, political leaders saying no patents, uh, or sorry, they should be giving out patents to these countries so they can produce their own. Well, if you can't distribute it, how can you produce it? Again, we're missing the point here. It's not about getting them vaccine. We're making lots of it now. 
it seems to be once it gets there, how do we make sure it's distributed, get, you know, and, and gets into arms? And obviously, you know, we have world class, uh, world class healthcare in the first world countries. That is a much difficult, much more difficult challenge in a third world country. Let's bring in Marvin Ryder, professor at the Group School of Business, McMaster University. He is with us now. Marvin, thanks for the time. I hope you're well. I'm great. Thank you. Glad to be with you. So I don't know if you heard much of the preamble there, Marvin, but we're yep. hearing a lot of Paul politics here about how we have to give other countries patents, how we have to no more boosters, give it all to 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 Africa and such. And then we have Fauci saying Africa does not have a supply problem. There's lots of people willing to give Africa vaccination. The issue is getting it into arms. So how do we focus on what the real issue is here? And that is getting people vaccinated as opposed to patents and supply. Yeah. So let me, let me before I get right immediately to your question, just to back up what you're saying, it's not just uh, Mr. Fauci, the president of South Africa. The president of South Africa has said to people like uh, Pfizer and Moderna, please stop sending us vaccine. He would like to be vaccinating at the rate of uh, 300,000 a day, 300,000 people a day. He's got a stockpile of six months' worth of vaccine in South Africa, so I don't need more vaccine. I don't need to produce more vaccine. My problem is getting into arms. Now, there are two major causes of that problem, or two major things related to that problem. You mentioned one of them, which is vaccine hesitancy. And what we tend to find, and I I don't want to put too fine a point on this, but what we tend to find is the more educated an individual is, the more they see the advantage of being vaccinated. The less uh, uh, educated they are, the more they are worried about, well, what is this exactly? Is the testing, is it safe? So you've got vaccine hesitancy. But a second problem you have, and it's unique to Africa, is distributing the vaccine. If you can remember... The Moderna vaccine and the Pfizer vaccine have to be mm-hmm. kept super cold. You know, we're not talking at just at zero or five degrees below zero Celsius. We're talking something like minus 60, minus 80 Celsius before you bring it out, thaw it out, dilute it, and then stick it into arms. Well, that's not that hard to do in Pretoria or Johannesburg, where the major cities, major populations are. But as soon as you move 50, 60 miles away, the, the state of technology doesn't allow this. And believe it or not, Scott, what you're talking about, if I roll the tape back 20 years ago, was what Bill Gates was talking about. Bill Gates audaciously said, audaciously said, I think we can rid the world of four diseases. No one in the history of the world has ever said that before. But when he said that, he said it's not because we need to develop new treatments or new vaccines. The reason why we're not getting rid of these diseases is we're not overcoming the infrastructure challenges. And this is where technology can play away. So, you know, and I know I bring up Bill Gates at my peril because, you know, he's part of the Illuminati trying to control the world and everything else. But uh, Mr. Gates, for instance, uh, developed refrigeration technologies that were able to ta- take vaccines into very hot parts of uh, Africa, keep them refrigerated, keep them cold, keep them from spoiling. They didn't require electricity, and they could keep them cold for up to 60 days. This is the kind of solutions you need to get vaccines into the lesser developed parts of the world, along with also dealing with vaccine hesitancy in the, in the populations. And that probably means you need local champions, people who they trust, 
Don't don't bring me Fauci. Don't bring me Bill Gates. Find me somebody local who I understand and I can trust and have them on my side. You put that together, you can start making a dent. But in the case of South Africa, 35% of the population vaccinated compared to Canada where we're approaching 90%. It's interesting. It's just, it's as if we're trying to do what makes us feel better as opposed yeah. to what helps them, you know. Yeah. Uh, and, and you said it exactly, and I heard this on the weekend, too. Stop sending us vaccine. We don't need vaccine. We need the distribution. Yet that's all we're hearing over here. So should boosters be delayed here uh, because of the situation elsewhere? My answer to that is no. Uh, uh, Scott, when I teach students about business, I always say a simple thing, fish where the fish are. Meaning, if you've got people who want vaccines and you've got vaccines, give them the vaccines. If there are people who want boosters and it's, it's appropriate under medical conditions, let's give it to them. Let's also, though, help Africa, but let's listen to them. And this is one of the reasons why, uh, and you probably know this as well, over the last century, the world has sent Africa more than a trillion dollars of relief, more than a trillion dollars of relief, and much of it has made no difference at all because we sent them what we thought they needed rather than asking them what it is they needed. Uh, so take food, for instance. We, we might send them gourmet frozen dinners. That's not what they need when they're trying to feed people in, in places of Ethiopia. We, we've got to listen to them, and I, I would listen a lot to that president in South Africa. He is working hard. Now, in fairness to him, he, he's a little worried that we've done a knee-jerk solution, and we often do this with disease. Let's isolate that part of the world. And for South Africa's economic health, isolating them may not be the best. So he's, for instance, said you know, all of this stuff about canceling flights. Can we can we maybe put in some other criteria rather than just a blanket ban on these things? Keeping in mind again that a person like Dr. Fauci says, Omicron, we think it's going to be more contagious, and we think it might cause more strong symptoms because of the kinds of mutations we've seen, but we don't know it yet. We actually need another week or two to investigate. So what do we do? And I think, again, if I take you back to March of 2020, most average people seem to think that we were too slow isolating China. That's how the disease got out. So this time around, I don't blame politicians in the Western world for knee-jerking to shutting everything down. But for South Africa, they say, if you lock us down too much, our economy falters. We'll have other kinds of problems to deal with. Let's try to find a more balanced solution. Marvin Ryder, professor with the DeGroote School of Business, McMaster University. As always, Marvin, thanks so much for the time. Be well. Glad to be with you. 545. African president, don't send us any more vaccine. We need help getting it into arms. It's about time Canadian politicians listened as opposed to just doing what makes everyone else feel better. Catch up on the news and information you've missed. This is Hamilton Today with Scott Thompson on 900 CHML. All right. uh, Feel free to jump into the fun. Send us a note, Scott Thompson at 900CHML.com. It's Hamilton Today. I'm Scott Thompson. Will on the board. Ted and Diana in the newsroom. Scott Radley joining us now, host of the Scott Radley Show. Columnist with your Hamilton Spectator and with us now. Scott, thanks for the time. I hope you're well. I am. Can I make a shameless plug right off the top, Scott? Go. We talked We talked to the curator of the museum, the museum in Kitchener, who's got the unzipped show on last night on the show. So if Beautiful. you're in the go to 900CHML, go to shows, go to the Scott Radley Show page, and then from last night, David Marscale was on there. It sounds like I, I want to talk to Will. It sounds like it's an amazing thing. Yeah, it it, appar- apparently it's like three floors of fun, and uh, yeah, it, it's getting very, very uh, good reviews, that's for sure. 
Scott, Three I want to of lips and tongue. Yes. <laughs> All right. <laughs> uh, there you go. Uh, although I do like the masks people were wearing with the uh, the lips and the tongue on them. I thought that's cool. That that fits perfect. All right, I, I, I'm, I'm, I'm going to blow off here a little bit, uh, and I know where your thoughts are, but, uh, I, you know, I, I'm really tired of woke Canadians who think they know how to solve everyone else's problems and what everybody else needs. And I think this is a perfect example as we're watching the Omicron outbreak in uh, Africa, South Africa, and, you know, politicians saying we need to these big drug companies to get rid of their patents so these countries can produce uh, this vaccine. Well, many times they can't distribute the vaccine. So how the heck can you produce it there? Uh, the other thing is, well, no boosters until the rest of the world is vaccinated. And I just had Marvin Ryder on on this, and I've been talking about it all week. I saw it on the weekend with Fauci, and, and Marvin echoed it. The, the president of Africa said, we don't need any more vaccine. They've told Pfizer to stop sending them vaccine because they've got six months stockpile. There is tons, there are tons of vaccines in the world. That's not the problem. The problem is once it gets to Africa, they don't have the ability because they don't have the health systems that we have in advanced worlds to get it into the arms of Africans and also combat the hesitancy and educate them as to what the the reasons are for taking it. Yet, instead of talking about what we really need to do, and that's work on a distribution system for them, all we have is these woke Canadians that are saying, you got to give it, what are you giving boosters for? They don't have any. Well, they're lying. They've got tons, you know, and, and the same thing with patents. There's tons of vaccine to go around. A supply that was once an issue is no longer an issue. The issue is trying to get a program to get it into their arms. Why are we not working on that instead of screaming about this other crap that means nothing? Well, Go ahead, Scott. that's a good rant. No, that's a good rant. And, uh, you know, my wife and I were over in Uganda a couple of years ago. And what you talk about is not entirely, it's not across the board the case, because there obviously are urban centers where a lot yeah, of people Yeah, I'm not living. talking about the big cities, yes. No, no. But you know what? We have a very good friend. Uh, she's a doctor here in town. Runs an amazing program called Save the Mothers. Her name is Dr. Dean Chamberlain. And they work in Uganda, and they do maternal health. And one of the major problems facing doctors over there with women who are having problems with like, women problems or birth problems or whatever else is that so many people, as you describe, are out of the reach of doctors. They're in areas that they don't have public transit. They don't have a car, don't have a hospital, and they are way there. You know, I don't want to make it. It's not, it's not like backwater. It's just it's a different way of it. Yeah, it's a different world, and yeah. They don't, have, they don't have a doctor on the street corner. They can't walk to a grocery store, maybe a, a, a pharmacy, and say, give me a shot. This is a, I don't know if it's millions, probably millions, of people who are not living the way we live. And so it's not as easy as just saying, well, get them vaccinated. Yeah. You, you're, on, on the one point you make, this is, it's the distribution. You know, when, when she's talking, when Dr. Jean is talking about motherhood things, you've got women who are giving birth in mud huts out in the middle of nowhere without yeah. a doctor because they don't have access to the medical system. Well, if they can't have a doctor to give birth, 
what's the likelihood they have a doctor who's just running around giving needles to everybody? Again, it's very much like it's very much it's very much like the food crisis. There's lots of food in the world. It's getting it to where it needs to be. But it seems as Canadians, we like to do what makes us feel good and what we think that they would want. But instead of asking them what they want, it's like having a friend coming over and says, "I'm going to help you paint your house," and you're thinking, "Great." But then he brings a pile of red paint and he goes, "In order to paint your house, we got to paint it red." Well, I don't want it red. Well, then screw it. You're not getting my help. I mean, this is what we've become as Canadians: is that we do what we think everybody wants as opposed to asking them, what do you need? Well, there's one other part to this that I really think is beyond even that. One of the favorite pastimes of many people is talking about how businesses and people are rich and they're greedy and everything else. So yeah. obviously the vaccine companies, the reason that people in some other countries are not getting vaccinated can't be because of any differences in the way they live or anything else. It must be because Pfizer and Moderna and all the rest, the the people are greedy and they're hoarding and they're trying to overcharge them. And look, I don't know. I don't know how the, how the vaccines have gone, wherever they've gone. But even if, as you described, even if they have gone to many of these countries, again, it's not just like they a pharmacy on every corner where it's yeah. easy to get them done. There are huge differences. And if you haven't seen it, here's the problem, Scott, and I know you've got to run. If you have never been outside of Canada or seen any other parts of the world, you just assume that everything runs the same way it does here. And yeah. we, are the, we are the exception, not the rule in this country. Scott Radley, host of the Scott Radley Show, columnist with your Hamilton Spectator. You will hear more of this coming up after the 6 o'clock news tonight. Scott, as always, thanks for the time. Be well. Have a great night, Scott. That is a wrap. Thanks for listening. As always, greatly appreciated. Thanks to Will and Ted and Diana for participating. As always, we leave it to you, the good listener, to have the last word. Hey, people are wondering if it's too early for Christmas music. What I want to know, though... Can I loop around to Halloween music again?